0: I'm going to read the whole book of Titus. This is how um, books of the Bible would be read. They would just read them out. And so I'm going to read the whole uh, book of Titus. It is really only 46 verses. So hopefully you will continue to be amazed by the Word of God as we read sections of the Bible today. The book of Titus, the letter of Paul, verse 1. Paul and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put to what remain in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters. In everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to Be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared he saved us not because of works done in us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us richly through jesus christ our savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your, your best to send Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me, send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be to you all. This is the word of the Lord. You have an outline on your bulletin. There's a couple of missing blanks. I'm really going to focus on the first one from Paul. But basically, you know, this is a letter from Paul to Titus and a trustworthy saying is what I want to get to. The three C's, according to Crete, right? Um, the three C's are Paul's credentials. That's your first blink. Paul's cause and Paul's conviction. I'm going to leave the other blinks just to frustrate you so you have to pay attention. All right. Um, so let me get to a little bit of background on this on this, uh, on this book, to so bring us to understanding of all the sermons we're going to hear today, or this year. First one is, it's from Paul. It's the first word, it's the first verse. How am I doing so far? <laughs> That's the author. The author is Paul. But it's to Titus. A true son in common faith. And the, and the thing is, is, is we don't know much about this Titus. Is he from Hornell? I <laughs> don't know, maybe. Well, not this Titus. This Titus, you'd figure his name would be dropped in the book of Acts with all the people and action going on, but it isn't so. We don't even hear about him in, in uh, Titus, maybe a little bit in Timothy. But however, we can learn much from him uh, from the epistles or from the letters of Paul. Um, he was accompanied Paul with the controversies in, uh, with the Corinthians' uh, circumcision controversy in Jerusalem, and he became kind of like a sort of a test case for Paul. Basically, he had to go to the church in Jerusalem and show that you know his mission field was the Gentiles, and so Titus was this Gentile kid, so if Paul's willing to hang out with his Gentile kid, then he must be willing to share the gospel to other Gentiles. So they approved of his missionary uh, efforts, and off he went. And so during Paul's third missionary journey, Titus became basically his personal emissary or his missionary partner to the church of Corinth. In seeking to learn how they received his first letter, uh, uh, Corinthians 1, uh, Titus was supposed to go do that, but he didn't return to Troas as they expected. And so then Paul went to Macedonia, and, and it wasn't until there that they, Paul and Titus finally connected, much to the relief and uh, comfort of Paul. Uh, but then uh, Titus told Paul of the, uh, the reception that the Corinthians had of his first letter, and, and so then Paul sends him back out uh, on his own with a couple other people to Corinthians to complete their um, the learning and and know that jerusalem is in need and they need to you know collect money so i say all these kind of things basically to let you know that titus is like he's a go-to guy he's been with paul uh, through heavy and thick situations right by paul's side near and dear to him for about 15 years he's not as popular as timothy but he's more of a strong and steady leader who's up for the challenge So, of course, we talked about the controversy of circumcision and the Corinthians and all that. But you you would think, well, Paul's the guy who did all that, right? Well, what I'm finding here is God used men like Titus. Nobody's. You didn't even hear about this Titus guy. Uh, Guys like Titus to help the early churches. Uh, Men helping men lead what God has set up. And I want you to make that connection here today that each local church, yes, should have a primary pastor and they should be qualified. And healthy churches must have a plurality of men, though, who also take up the charge to faithfully serve alongside the senior pastor to be able to faithfully teach to people and devote themselves to sound teaching, to be filled with good works. Titus received this letter to help him set things straight in Crete. So Titus has been left on this island all alone. And by, you know, if Paul's plans were correct, uh, Titus would soon leave after these two guys, Artemis and Tychicus, would show up. And then Paul would have him meet, meet him back in Nicopolis. And that's where the, story, no, that's where the letter just read. Um, and then we last read, if you go to other books of the Bible, that uh, Titus went to Demetria, uh during Paul's final days of his life. Now, I don't know all the timing, and I don't know how many towns that Paul directed to Titus. He just said all of them, whichever ones we went to. I don't know how long Titus had to stay until these two guys showed up. But what I know is Paul gave Titus a huge challenge. Finish what we started. Appoint elders in every town. It's a huge challenge. But by God's grace, and Paul knows God is a God who supplies grace, he says... You know, I think Titus is up for the challenge, so he's going to succeed. Let me ask you, how do we know we're succeeding in a church, especially at preaching? I, I don't know. I just preach, and that's, we, don't, we just give that to the Lord. We can finish a work week. We can finish high school. We can finish college. And all those things, we know that we've finished something. But how do you finish the work of setting things in order that are lacking in a church? I mean, you can even still look around today and find things that are wrong, upset. You can find things that you find are un, that are lacking here at this church, even now. Thirty-some-odd years past the time where this church was established in this local body. You guys are still sitting here listening. So you, you, you are still lacking of understanding the revealed will of God. So what's Paul getting at? What's he getting at? Well, I'll get to that. Crete is the biggest island of greece it was known for being an island of cities nine major cities actually according to the book of homer and who knows how many smaller towns it was a major center of trade and government kind of like where we live this this island of the united states crete back then though is nothing like the crete today you know crete is like a major travel destination now but the crete back then was vile and wicked so we let's focus here on the 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 challenge that Titus had, and that was to promote healthy churches who promote Christ. How do you think he'd ever have time to to do all this? Just quickly set things up and wait for these two guys and come back with Paul? Yeah, he did. But after Paul was beheaded as a martyr, I I, I found out that Titus actually went back to Crete, continued to set things up to appoint elders in every town, and even to neighboring islands. He basic, T- uh, Titus actually spent the rest of his life in Crete, and he was a young guy, and he lived to about 94, so much, was hap- much happened for the cause of Christ uh, through Titus. The purpose, again, is well to, to tell Timothy, he's a young guy, he, he's got a difficult task, and evidently there's a bunch of churches that were brand new in Crete that needed maturity, and so he designed to assist, uh, Titus with this letter to the task of helping churches. Three main things, and this is not in your notes, but three main things: Quali- look for qualified guys, right? Chapter one talks about this, about how you're to look for qualified men to lead churches. In chapter two, it goes on to make sure you preach sound doctrine, and then uh, the second part of chapter two and in chapter three. Exhort people to be zealous for good works. And so those are the three main things that Paul wants to make sure Titus gets a clear uh, uh, thought across to the Cretans. I mean, the theme of the letter is good works. It's basically sprinkled throughout the whole book of Titus. And the key command, I think, is in the third chapter, verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. It's that what led me to uh, think about the the theme of our series, which is called Knowing Doctrine and Living It by by Grace. So there's where we're at. The book of Titus is about gospel at work. It's about being saved for good. It's this connection between what is taught And what is caught, we who are preaching this summer will understand this fully because when we preach, we're only going to preach what we caught by reading the things that we read and studying the things. And I see connections other than that, like the connection between doctrine and holy living, faith and practice, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. You see, there's many... Words, key words that are, that are filtering through Titus, like faith and truth and goodness and self-control, good works. All these things are repeating themes, but there are connections: faith and practice, uh, godliness and doctrine. It's cool. I mean, this is a tiny little book. I just read it for you, less less than five minutes. But each one of these verses pack a lot. I mean, each one could be a sermon in their own. And I don't know about anything other. We don't know anything much about Crete or the Cretans other than really there was something in Acts 2.11 when the day of Pentecost comes. There's this little blurb that says, and those from Crete, they heard the gospel. And so right off the bat, God is at work. God is at work in uh, taking the gospel at root in Crete. And then of course by, you know, later on, He uses Paul to continue to uh, preach the gospel through one of his missionary uh, journeys to set up churches. But of course, right after that, some people came—false teachers, spreading lies, uh, you know, unfruitfulness, uh, hoarding money from ceremonies that they expected other people to uh, perform. Something had to be done. For us, we are blessed with good, rich doctrine in this church, healthy leadership. But if we don't take heed to what we're going to go through this summer in the book of Titus, we'll be in the same boat. We'll be in the same predicament. If we have poor doctrine and poor leadership. It is, I'm telling you, it is a constant fight to mash true doctrine in our potato-like heads. Especially mine, I know that. And it's hard to fight against worldliness. I need good doctrine to listen to, and I need Christ's grace, I need God's grace to allow me, to make me to be who I am. And I know that is true of you. The church at Crete and every church that needs to be healthy needs godly leaders. And I know the church is way more than its leaders but it doesn't grow up straight without a few people like Titus who can teach sound doctrine. And that's Paul's charge to Titus. Set things in order. Get good leadership. So this, the, you know, we, we found that the present administration, the present situation at uh, Crete was false teachers. It was lacking. and needed to be changed. And there's this massive disconnect between their faith and their practice. And I want our church to take note of me, Dave, elders in training, the deacons, especially Don, to watch what we hear, watch what we say, and watch what we do, right? Make sure our lives line up with the Word of God. It is essential to know the connection between your profession of faith and your expression of faith. Paul's going to say that it is true of all Christians, but especially true of the leadership of any local church. Paul knows Titus, and he knows this sober task that he gives him. It's time to take the gloves off, Titus. It's time not to mess around because people are being harmed. They are upsetting people's faith. They are deceiving people, and people's lives are at stake when there is poor leadership, when, there, when there's te- people teaching false doctrine and no one to intervene. That's why I think it's great that we here at this church we're associated with the Southern Baptist Church and we're highlighting through summer Sunday School of our local sister churches so that if I get out of line, if Dave gets out of line, especially if Don gets out of line, we have someone to help us, other churches to help us so that we can um, uh, have someone to go to to make sure uh, our leadership is good. And Paul is telling Titus, signaling to us as well that uh, false teaching is serious and how you live is serious this book um, is about Titus to look for men who are living in such a way that makes the gospel attractive in their life to make it look beautiful if a guy can say that look attractive like when others look at what you're doing and want to be a part of it He is to find trustworthy guys, uh, faithful men, who will then teach other men. And when I look at other guys who are serving faithfully and confident and are driven and want to talk about Christ in such a way that Christ is everything to them, I want to be a part of what's going on with them. I want to serve right along with them. I want to be like them. And so that's why we need to promote good doctrine and healthy living, uh, godly living in this church. And yes, you know, Crete was a major trade uh, island, but yes, it's a strategic spot. But it also has these false teachers. It also has, you know, n- crazy, nasty, vile people. So it'd be like this nice Disney show, Car- uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, but R-rated, right? It's like, I mean, there's great potential, but there's, there's some things that are wrong, um, you know, sexual immorality and violence and lies and deceit. And the worst part I found in this was that you had the regular, the Jewish people, the, the people of circumcision, the religious people, were the worst offenders. They were the ones that were leading people astray, promoting legalism, not doctrine. They were promoting lies, not truth. So Crete is full of homegrown... False teachers of mythology, Jewish free, uh, ceremony, not the freedom and grace we have in Christ. So it is. It's a huge challenge to uh, Titus. So that's the background. So here, here in your notes, Paul's credentials. In verse 1, Paul calls himself a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He refers to a servant, not in a negative way, but I think you look back in, the, in Genesis, uh, like a servant of the Lord like Abram. He was a servant of the Lord. Servants of the Lord are passed down from him to uh, Joshua, uh, Moses, then David. And then we even find in the New Testament, Paul, as we're reading this book, and even James, both love to refer to themselves as a servant of, the, of God, a servant of the Lord. It's a good thing to be the servant of the Lord. What does not pass down, though, is apostolic authority. An apostle was someone who saw Jesus, someone who was sent by Jesus. They were basically the segue between Jesus' inaugural New Covenant In us today, they were given authority, and that authority was transferred to the Word of God. Uh, We get our knowledge of the truth of Jesus by way of apostolic authority that was recorded in the truth that we read, the truth of the Scriptures. Now, the apostles are gone now. Capital A apostles are gone. But we have the Bible. God has spoken to us in times past through the prophets, but now He speaks to us through Jesus. And this Jesus, he sent people like Paul to record his ministry, his words for us today. Thanks be to God we have the Scriptures. Thanks be to God we have the Bible. And God has sent Paul to be an apostle, a servant of his. So he's a humble servant and he's one sent by Jesus. So that, those are his credentials, right? A little bit different than the resumes that you and I would put on for getting a job, wouldn't they be? Second thing, Paul's cause for the sake of the faith in God's elect I'm still in verse 1 who are the elect well throughout the Bible God chooses people for his very own and if you've been here any length of time you will know in Genesis the book of Genesis or if you want to read Genesis 11 and 12 you can see that God called or chose Abram to make him a father of many nations If you want to continue reading in your Bible, you can look in Deuteronomy 7. It says that uh, God says you are a people chosen out of all peoples of the earth. And because God set His love on you and chose you, not because you're great, but in fact you're not so great, the Lord loves you and He's basically keeping an an oath with Abraham, delivering you from slavery, and, and He's keeping the covenant of steadfast love to those who love Him. The New Testament says the same thing in 1 Peter. uh, Paul, or Peter rather, says you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. We're called. We are chosen. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And in Colossians, this is my last reference, Colossians, Paul refers to all of those who are Christians as chosen ones. So the elect in every age are those who have been redeemed on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Those people before Jesus and those people after him have been made close to God through the perfect blood sacrifice of Jesus. And all, all are included there because of the grace through faith. That big long section of Hebrews we heard? By faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2 tells us. Galatians 3.7 states that those of faith are the sons of Abraham. That's why God says in, in the book, or Moses recorded this, that, Many nations would be blessed by Abraham. Like really, how could other people's kids be blessed by Abraham's seed? Well, it's because of faith in Jesus. Through Jesus. Elect is in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. And so in some way, biblically, we must believe it. It's essential. No matter how much we want to argue it, how hard it is to contemplate this, we are redeemed. We're bought. We have been chosen. Amazon chooses to redeem your damaged boxes based on the fact that you'll buy more junk from them. Jesus, or God, the Father, chooses to redeem us based on His good pleasure. One's picked, one's bought. Basically, we're we're brought into the household of God. Practically speaking, one is able to rest. I'm able to rest in God's unfailing love because of election, because... If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can bring a a charge against God's elect? You and I are not the justifier. God alone is the justifier. It was Jesus who died. Uh, He is the one who was raised. And he is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us right now, interceding for me as I preach to you right now. Who can separate us from that love? Nobody. And thankfully, we have a very, very powerful God who has chose us to be His own. When we find ourselves wanting to live for other things except for God, when we find ourselves anxious because of the sin that we've committed, when we feel stained and guilty, I know I'm in the Father's hands, that He has chosen me, and I can look up to Him and see that God is there to lift me. He, has, he is there to heal me. He's there to forgive me. Why? Because I've been chosen by my Maker. I am His, and He is mine. I'm hidden in my Savior. Why? Because I'm cherished for eternity. And with every breath, I want all of us who are believers to sing salvation song. It's all up to God. I, I love that fact about election. God chose us before the foundation of the world that that fact you can believe or disbelieve. The faith that I have in that awesome truth is actually a gift. If I read on in Ephesians 2.9, uh, it tells me that the faith I believe in God is actually a gift to me. I didn't earn that faith. I didn't womp up that faith. God even gave me the faith to believe. About, something about god and that there was a work of redemption that was needed and that work is finished on the cross and the good works that even paul is pleading for is the plea for good works that was that was actually bestowed in us by god to be holy and blameless friends we are created in the newness of life of god for good works in christ now we are commanded to live by them that's the good works Not for salvation, but because of salvation. The law is now written in our hearts and really any command of God is really not too burdensome for those who have been born of God. 1 John 5 I've been born of God and I know that God loves me. Therefore, I will love God. This is the love of God. Not that we loved Him first, but that He loved us first and sent His Son to die for a sacrifice. How do you know you're His disciple? First John, or John 13 tells us that you'll know that you are of God if you have love for one another. That's the litmus test. God says the litmus test is you'll have love for one another. I'm a plumber. I work at, uh, in construction. I do uh, you know, domestic water for, for businesses, hospitals, and schools and whatnot. And we have to test the water after we put a new system in. Because the water uh, pipes, they're dirty uh, from construction and all that. And so we have to put cleaner in it. We have to make it new. After we put a new thing in, we have to make it new by cleaning it. And we test it by pH strips. It's a litmus test that we give it. If the water's bad, it won't pass, and you can't drink it. We can't give it a, 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 a certificate of occupancy. And Paul is saying here that in God, you will do good works. He says, "Be careful to maintain them, and let us consider to stir up one another for love and good works." Brothers and sisters, that's the litmus test. If you, if you know you're of God, you, you just will, you will love one another. You will have good works, and it won't be hard. it won't be burdensome. Please, don't think you can earn your salvation by whomping up good works. So how are we doing with this command? Love one another. Good works? Well, that's exactly why Paul is commanding Titus to teach us today in the book of Titus. Set things in order. No one can know about God. And, and you know, most of this country knows about God, but not many really know Him in a way that they will lay down their life for Him. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, right? Right? Deed and truth, doctrine, practical good works, right? So what what about this non-elect? What about those that can't come? Why do we even spread the gospel for those people that may not be chosen? Wait right there. We all know and heard of Matthew 11 that says, Come all to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus died to save sinners. Jesus offers the call to all. We ought to as well. Whoever comes to Jesus, he will in no wise turn away. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that no one may perish but have eternal life. He didn't bring Jesus into this world to condemn us, but so that we might be saved through Him. That's the open call. It's a call to all. Friends, God doesn't offer a call of salvation to the elect or the non-elect. He offers a call to sinners, to you, all of you, to me. If you're a sinner, Christ died for you. The offer of eternal life is to everyone. The invitation Jesus gives is an invitation to, to come and die. That's the problem people have. It's not a theological problem. It's a pride problem. It's a self-glorification problem. It's not the choosing part that people have a problem with. It's the dying part. I I say, die to yourself. Die to the stinking pride within you and look to Jesus, the Lord of your life. That's what we ought to think about. Who is Jesus to you? There's another hymn I like, and it goes like this. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome, God's free bounty glorified. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. And then here's the other part right here. This is, this is the other part that people have an issue with. Come ye weary, heavy laden, look who is lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness you require is to feel your need of Him. Ladies and gentlemen, we need Jesus. Please don't get caught up in the truths of God's sovereignty and our responsibility. If you hear the call of Jesus, go to Him. Repent and believe. The two overarching truths in the Bible are God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God's election and our responsibility to respond in faith and share the gospel. All I can say is to believe both truths. If you have a problem with these truths, it it basically really does come down to pride, self-trust, self-admiration, self-glorification, self-satisfaction, all the self-words that you want to come up with. What must I do to be saved? The jailer asked. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. It's as simple as that. Believe in the Lord. Don't believe in you. Believe in the Lord and you will be saved. Don't wait to be elect or respond to the call in in a proper way. Respond to the call. That's all I'm asking you. Respond to the call. Repent and believe. And if you believe, then you're elect. That's it. That's all I can say. If you believe in Jesus right now, you're one of the elect. There's no big E on your shirt. I don't know how to figure that out. Just believe in Jesus. God wants people for His very own. He ordains them to salvation and He also ordains the means by which they are to be saved. The Father draws us to the Son and we respond. Then then, uh, I am to say or proclaim the Gospel. Uh, I don't call myself into being born as a child and I don't call myself to being born again. And that's the way it is. And that's exactly why Jesus used that imagery with Nicodemus. So how is faith tied in? How do I respond? Romans 10 tells us, how will they call on Him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him who have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are you going to preach unless you're sent? Basically, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let me say it one more time. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. God ordains us to receive faith by hearing the word of Christ. Paul was redeemed. He was set apart by God. He was sent to preach the gospel to others like Titus, like everyone who was a Gentile. Uh, He preached the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation believe in jesus and others believed and it the the faith of jesus spread it's all to the praise of his glory i hope you may be getting it now i hope so and i'm sure you may have many questions about some of these some of this doctrine that i'm talking about but i'll go on from here because paul has another cause and that is knowledge or of the truth that accords itself with godliness I'm still in verse 1. Yes, Paul says good works over and over throughout this book. We heard that. But it's much more than just good works. Much more than uh, with this word godliness. Godliness is true Christian living. It's a way of life that is pleasing to God. What he's not talking about is just changing your behavior. right? It's not behavior modification just to make things go well in your life. Paul is talking about real faith real truth real hope it's just basically true spirituality true christian living that's what pleases god and that's what he's getting at with this word godliness just true christian living think of it as a life that pleases god is being the general rule and christian living is a a life uh, that pleases god that includes good works all right so I, I think I've covered godliness a little bit, but I want to make the point that the knowledge of truth that accords to godliness is not just head knowledge. Um, it is a committed relationship with God. Right? Think of some of the words, God foreknew you, Adam knew his wife, uh, uh, an intimate relationship. Right? Um, yes, a big bucket of big words might sound impressive if they're Christian words, uh, but it may not be much to help someone for the cause of christ actually it might do the opposite it might turn people away think of it more of as uh, acknowledgement of truth so most of you have a phone and the phone i have i know it's got many many capabilities uh one of which is uh this speak to text and i'm telling you it was like an aha moment when i realized this i can actually speak to it and it would type words for me uh, and it was like all happening automagically, and I loved it. It I was cool. It was the start of a new relationship with me and Siri. Um, and it, cu- it culminated in me having a new language called speak text, I call it. I would spell out my abbreviations. i spell out punctuation, right, period, comma. Uh, I would spell words that I knew were hard to type for, the, for Mrs. Siri there or Mr. Siri. But it culminated in a new language for me, new different works, different things because I understood there's something new. If you're saved, enough of that analogy, if you're saved, you're going to live with that, that knowledge right now. Right? You know Jesus died for you on the cross. And it was promised to you before the ages began. And that truth culminated in the basis of God's Word and the good work of Him keeping that promise through Jesus. For us, that acknowledgement or that realization of the relationship that God granted us culminates in good works it culminates in godliness through faith we understand that god placed his love on us in us rather so that we love him and do things to please him he doesn't wait for us to straighten our lives out he does that for us godliness does not establish the relationship godliness is the result of the relationship true faith stimulates the desire for godliness. Believer, good works is for, uh, uh, God works for us for good works, not by us. Our lives, uh, if they do not look any different than when we first believed, we're in trouble. I'm telling you right now, if your life does not look any different than when you first believed, I think you might be in trouble. Cretan false teachers did not look any different than the wicked people who were in Crete. Something was radically wrong. And if anyone in this church has a life that does not look any different than the world, especially leadership in this church, then something is radically wrong. Something must be done. We need to intervene. Because how are we going to reach the, the lost if we don't even reflect the gospel? It is evident who are the children of God. Those who love God or those who don't. Those who practice righteousness or those who are of the devil who practice wickedness. That's the truth that accords with godliness. If your life lines up, then you are of Christ. But it's not that because we fail so much, don't we? Let's go to that. We must remember our lives are an influence to the others in the church. We cannot view ourselves as living autonomously uh, thinking if our own lives are right or wrong. We must examine our lives according to others around us. How we treat them according to their weaknesses, their strengths. Being a consumer in this Christian life, it impoverishes you. It really does. And it impoverishes those around you. But if By being a Christian and we take responsibility of others in the church, being with them when they're weeping and when they're joyful, it enriches you. It enriches them. God's church has grown as we do good works with each other. Paul's conviction though, now in verse 2, we're moving along, is the hope of eternal life. That's what our hope is in. It's in eternal life. Let's face it. If there's nothing else but this life, we're to be most pitied, aren't we? The hope we have is eternal life, that we will live again after we die. We believe in the resurrection. We believe Jesus was raised from the grave and that we preach is the resurrection. God raised Jesus from the dead. Otherwise, our faith is futile. Everybody before Christ, everybody after Christ, Will perish, and yes, you and I will perish if the resurrection doesn't believe. If there is no eternal life, so that's important. It is by our hope is by eternal life. Um, it's based on a God who never lies. I I remember hearing about uh, learning about Greek mythology in high school. I remember uh, they were talking about the god Zeus. Right? You guys know about the god Zeus. Well, actually, Cretans thought that Zeus was from Crete. So imagine this guy who's unfaithful to women and lied to get what he want. Imagine a whole island that promoted lies. Cretans were liars. Paul announced that God the Father was a very different God. Uh, That's a big clue into what Titus had for an issue and uh, one of the challenges he had. He had homegrown empty talkers and... people who taught legalism, but basically they taught lies. That's a contrast, a vast contrast between a faithful God who gives truth, a faithful God who never lies. He gives grace and he gives eternal life. Brothers and sisters, the hope we have is eternal life. It's the kick in my step. I know it's the kick in your step. It's what gets us up in the morning. It's the conviction of what we believe because we believe in a God who doesn't lie. And unlike the lies we hear every day in this world, we believe and can believe in a God who never lies. We can believe in his promises that we will live again. We will live with him in heaven. That's what gets us through the day. Hebrews tells us in chapter 6 that it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to the refuge, who have a strong encouragement, we are to hold fast to the hope before us. We have a sure and steady anchor of the soul, a hope that endures actually into the inner place behind the curtain where, where Jesus was the forerunner. That's amazing. God never lies, and He calls us into the same dwelling with Him. Please believe that God never lies, that He does give eternal life, and that it is promised before the foundation of the world. It is promised before, and it is given at the proper time. Verse 3, we're on a roll now. It is through the preaching according to God's command. Now, I'm sure you've gone on a trip. We go on trips. And they can take forever. Uh, Sometimes they can take forever, especially when you have a, a particular kid saying, are we there yet? And you say, we'll get there when we get there, right? Well, we often plan trips. We have to get back to where we're going. But even practical, everyday stuff like grocery shopping, we, we have to plan a trip. We, we do a certain thing. Well, we, have a, a, we had the unique opportunity to have one of our special kids uh, who would take and be real inquisitive on our trips. He would ask us, you know, why would we go and take a certain trip one way? Why do we pick up groceries instead of going to somebody's house? Or why do we go to someone's house first? I mean, I was even asked, I think, one time, did I even know how to get to the vacation trip from him? So he was untrusting, didn't know where we were going. We as kids need to trust our parents, don't we? We need to know that they know what's in store. They, they have a plan for us as a kid. We as Christians need to know that God has a plan for us. We can know that it is in the proper time, at the proper way i need to trust that whatever is going to happen is supposed to happen and that we're supposed to happen at the right time god has brought the gospel to you at the proper time and there may be things in your life that don't make sense but we need to trust god that he will take us where we need to go at the proper time he has our lives in his hands he has planned it before the ages A warning about too much head knowledge or too much feeling. I I know some of us, myself included, we like to live like mavericks and tend to do our own things. So, if I want to, you know, um, you know, go to a special event and get close to God, or listen to a real good sermon like from John Piper, uh, um, you know, I want to engage with myself intellectually, or read really deep theological books, and that is good. We want to do that, but sometimes we can make much of knowing high and lofty views of God and it makes no sense to us in our relationship. Maybe if I know more about the situation, God will bless me and, and I'll be okay with the situation. Don't be those who are always learning and never coming to a knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of God. Friends, I, the hope of eternal life is what drives us. It helps us through tough times. It's not found in feeling good about a situation or practical worldliness. It's found, rather. It's manifested in the Word of God. Manifested in the, the preaching that you're actually hearing right now. As boring as it may be, I, I don't know how it works, but Christianity is heart and mind and doctrine fuels Gospel and it's happening as I actually preach to you, as you listen to the Gospel being preached. So I, I pray that you submit yourself to the preaching of God's Word in a local church the men you're going to hear throughout the summer, they are a blessing to us. They will be used by God. They, and what I do, and what Pastor Dave does, it's not worldly wisdom. God is actually pleased through the folly of what we preach to save those of you who already believe. You can count on it. It's not like spurts and bursts of Christianity. No, it's the knowledge of the Gospel, abiding in Christ, We might feel a lot better if we listen to a good sermon from Piper or MacArthur or go around and hang out with awesome people like Ed Moore or even hang out with a CC group. You might feel energetic. But the fact is we may not know where we stand with God unless we are growing in faith and likeness and abiding in the Word of God, our own self, reading about who He is, reading how God has revealed Himself as a loving God, a one who has saved us from ourself knowing that i'm a great sinner and he's a great savior christianity is both heart and mind truth that accords with godliness it's through preaching and there is power in preaching the gospel paul actually did make an impact on the world he actually turned the world upside down people say this sermon for what it's worth will have an impact on someone Folks, I've invited you to be involved in church ministries earlier. And that's a good thing. We do need to be involved in a a local church that we're committed to. But the best thing for you, I invite you to know the Gospel. I invite you to be committed to the Gospel. To know Jesus as your Savior. The righteous shall live by faith. I am not ashamed for the power of salvation is in the Gospel to those who believe. And I'm, I'm wrapping it up now. But... This is this letter is to Titus. He's a true son. Basically think of common faith like a good old song we all know. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. That's what a common faith is like. Common faith that unites us as one. And I love you you know, I love you guys and I know you guys love me. That and, and we know that we're loved by Christ. We would have never known each other unless it was for, uh, by Christ that brought us together in this church. Unless God brings us together through all churches, we can go to all of those who love God and know God and are united with Him because of Christ. This letter is to be read in public. The last verse in Titus 3 says to us all. Think of like uh, the CDC notices that we used to get throughout last year. Even I got some from the deacons. It was to me or the government gives them to business owners. And we all know they're actually for us. It's the protocol we need to know. So think of this letter. It was to be read in public, just like I did at the beginning. I read the whole book. Uh, Hopefully throughout the year, maybe we might have some other guys read the whole book again um, for us to know it. Finally, the book is to be read by us today. If you believe in God, you are elect and this Bible is for you. This book is for you. This sermon is for you. Grace, peace, and mercy of our God and Father be with you. Amen. There's a couple practical things I want to give to you, but first it's that trustworthy saying that in view of what is good and profitable, those who have believed in God, just be careful to devote themselves to good works. That was one of the blanks and the last blink you have. Devote themselves to good works. It is a faithful saying. We should affirm and, and do this consistently. Tell each other. We are, we are to uh, encourage each other to do that it, because it's excellent. And it, it profits people, it profits you, and it profits others. A couple of things to take away. Before we're equipped as leaders, those of us ought to have a sense of responsibility for the flock. It doesn't just pop out of thin air when you complete leadership training or seminary or elder in training. No. The training ground is the community of believers right here in this church. Right now, are you developing a concern for others? Do you know who God is? Do you believe in Him? Limited personal preferences for the sake of credibility of the gospel is not a popular message. I get it. We are a generation that even preparing for ministry, people can be fixated on their own personal career. I understand that. But do we consider ministry as a service to others or where our own needs are met? Where we may not get a meal out there on a Wednesday night and I'm hungry, so I guess I can't serve, right? Whatever, I don't know, I'm just picking things. We, I have excuses like that. Like, I want to be fed too. I want to, you know... But do, is our ministry where we serve others rather than looking out for our own? The gospel is for those in danger of hell. And it's also for those of us who are a witness so that the gospel reflects our lives. But we have that responsibility of sharing the message of God's grace. For those of us in the community, by the love and the godliness of community, it evidences in our lives whether we know what we're saying, does what we say come out in how we live? Let's look to the challenge of Titus. Know that it's not just about our own personal growth. It's about the growth of this whole church, the growth of this community, the growth of the whole world. And let's praise God for the grace that we've been given, the doctrine, the heavy truths of who God is and how He has chose us before the foundation of the earth to be His. Amen? Amen. Thank you very much.